Welcome to Point Two Law Review. My name is John Brandt. And I am Carson Messersmith. And we are here. It's the week of February 21st, 2023 to February 24th, 2023. We're talking about the Nebraska Supreme Court opinions, Nebraska Court of Appeals opinions. Got a few? Yeah, definitely not a bevy. We got no, a couple. No. We, got we got a got few. A, we got a couple this week. Got a couple this week. It's uh, end of February. Um, and then then we got in like a lion, out like a lamb stuff in March. Because we're coming up on March. Yeah, we're all yeah we're getting. You will stipulate to the fact that March is next Mar- week. March is nearby. March right. is nearby. That's good. What else is going on? I don't know. You know, it's kind of that dead season. You know, you fall between football and basketball, weather-wise, holidays. You know, I guess we get done with Valentine's now. Now we're waiting on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do March anything. Madness. I'm, I'm, you know. Yeah, it's just kind of a lull. You're telling it's on yourself. Yeah. yeah. I'm. I'm ready for summer and school to be over but that's me yeah i'm not in school just to yeah, be i was gonna clear. say are you in yeah are you in primary education i, right I now, am not Mr. Uh, i might as well be i'm on their schedule they own me they run your life <laughs> they yes. totally do when they get out when they start <laughs> they send me an email i jump <laughs> your, your clock <laughs> runs by them they can text me they have their own apps they can send me it's insane anyway uh we're going to talk about court of appeals decisions so let's uh, get going with the Nebraska supreme court uh carson i understand you have a remix of a previous decision. Yeah, throwing throwing it back, I guess. Do we, we say that? We're throwing it back to a previous case. Yeah. Uh, a butter case, I guess. Um, so butter case v. Davis, we have a supplemental opinion. Uh, this is stemming from a motion for rehearing filed by the uh, pro se appellant. If we remember this case, this was where uh, the appellant was charged with uh, some Child pornography charges essentially was represented by James Martin Davis, who sub- subsequently um, passed away during uh, the the criminal matter, and then eventually during the civil matter. The civil matter uh, stems from the fact that you know apparently it was uh, malpractice. Supreme Court disposes of it, says that you know you have to demonstrate actual innocence in the underlying charge in order to substantiate a, a malpractice claim in this regard. And that's essentially what this supplemental opinion does. It changes a couple of paragraphs, but it kind of reaffirms the position that if you're going to make uh, a Sixth Amendment and effective assistance of counsel claim, then you're going to have to show that you were actually not guilty of the underlying charge. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get anywhere. And, you know, Butter Case, again, didn't do that. And even though they, they modify a couple of paragraphs, it doesn't change anything substantially in this opinion. I, I looked at it many times thinking, what in the world can I get into here <laughs> that, you know, makes me seem smart or, you know, at least coherent or yeah. adds value. And the truth of the matter is there is just not a lot to be added from the supplemental opinion, which I guess if there is some giant nugget of gold and I missed it, I apologize to the Nebraska Supreme Court and to our listeners because I, I didn't glean it. It's a pre-apology. It's a pre-apology. I like to be prepared. And they can, uh, you know, register complaint, point to law review at gmail.com. Yeah. Or tweet at us. I would love to get, you know. At point to law rev or something. Law rev. Yeah. All right. Let us know if we got it wrong. But yeah. It sounds like you got, I mean, I knew you had to be actually innocent to claim something like that. And that's what I think they did with the supplemental opinion. They clarified that, you know, you really, we really mean actual innocence is you have to. Yeah. We mean actual innocence, not just, you know, plausible innocence like or pleading for, to a lesser yeah. charge. Yes. All right. Well, I have uh, another Supreme Court decision. This is preserve the Sandhills PTS. 
uh, and Charlene Reiser McCormick uh, versus Cherry County, Nebraska, and a bunch of other appellees uh, who were defendants on the lower claim. This is a civil case. It's really got a lot to do with standing. So if you got an issue of standing somewhere in your practice on your current caseload, take a look at this one because it, it gets into a lot of uh, you know, the nitty gritty about how to allege standing and what needs to be done. And procedurally, I thought this was interesting, especially given, given our uh, in, uh, previous discussions. Um, they don't call it a, on a motion to dismiss something where you're alleging standing. Um, it's not a motion to dismiss necessarily. You got an answer and you got a, uh, an answer alleging that there's no standing as an affirmative defense. So, th- so they schedule a hearing on the no standing issue. It's not a motion to dismiss and it's not a summary judgment. And so they take evidence. You take evidence in it and they call it a factual challenge. Okay. Interesting. So it's, yeah. So it's not just judicial notice and it's not evidence under a motion for summary judgment. It's called a factual challenge, which I can't not think of uh are you familiar with the nickelodeon television program double dare no i'm not that must be i must have missed that one (laughs) you did miss that one that was popular in the 90s and instead of answering the question presented you could request a physical challenge (laughs) and you would say i would i would rather have the physical challenge than answer that question so you would be involved in some kind of physical challenge that inevitably involved green slime Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I'm familiar with the green slime, of, of course, course in Nickelodeon, but yes. Yeah. So that is uh, the factual challenge or physical challenge, as I'm going to think of it in my head. Deem it, yes. Is reviewed de novo. So whatever they do there, you're going to get de novo review if you appeal it. So the uh, the LLC citizens here that preserve the Sand Hills, they didn't want um, the Cherry County, two members of the Cherry County board, they wanted to enjoin them from being able to vote on 19 commercial wind turbines that were going to be prospectively placed up in Cherry County. And they thought they would, you know, ruin the view and ruin property values and just not preserve the sandhills as they thought. And they thought that, uh, you know, it would impact them uh, personally for doing that, at least regarding Riser McCormick. Uh, as a landowner of Cherry County. So they had one complaint. I'm not sure who was all in that one complaint. And then that complaint was dismissed for lack of standing. And then we got an amended complaint. And that amended complaint, we went up to the factual challenge or physical challenge. And they uh, brought up some information regarding the LLC not owning any land. And the landowner, although the landowner did own land, it was 40 miles from a proposed turbine. And they had an affidavit of a realtor from Omaha who said, hey, I've reviewed this and there's a possibility it could lower their, um, you know, land values in the future. That was not received over a foundational objection and it was dismissed at the lower court for lack of standing. It's got a bunch of factors they go through, a bunch of factual determinations in order to decide whether they're standing or not. And the lack of standing was affirmed on appeal. And the Supreme Court here even went the extra mile and said, oh, even if that realtor stuff did come in, there's still no standing. So um, that's that's basically what they did in Preserve the Sand Hills v. Cherry County. So they were not enjoined. I don't know what happened later on. I don't know whether that was approved or not. But as far as this litigation is concerned, it's over because they ain't got standing. And so the, the evidence there was resi- was received for the limited purpose of the arguments on standing. Is that my understanding? So that's what that, because that's a bizarre, I mean, that's a bizarre world to think about. You're doing affidavits, you're bringing all of this in. It's so, and I guess I, 
I guess that's why there has to be that in between world. All right, I'm gonna. You're gonna make me. Oh, here we go. Work. Okay. If, if a motion, you're getting cha- cold called now. <laughs> you're getting cold called. Well, professor, if a motion challenging a court's subject matter jurisdiction is filed after the pleading stage and the court holds an evidentiary hearing and reviews evidence outside of the pleadings, it is considered a quote factual challenge, where the trial court's decision to dismiss for lack of subject matter jurisdiction is based on a factual challenge. The court's factual findings are reviewed under a clearly erroneous standard. But aside from any factual findings, the trial court's rulings on subject matter jurisdiction is reviewed de novo because it presents a question of law. So, to answer your question, um, it's something else. It's its own beast. I just I, I wonder where they draw the lines as far as what gets to come in factually, what's relevant only to the jurisdictional issue. It, well, it, yeah, I think it'd be it's reviewed. It's an interesting opinion. The, you know? Well, no, it's uh, let me answer one of those because the affidavit, the review of the affidavit and whether the affidavit of the realtor came in, that was reviewed on an abusive discretion standard. So I think they'd have discretion over, well, you know, it's not a lot of time. So that's all trial court right. getting to say, yeah, the, okay, this can come in. Yeah, that doesn't apply to standard. Right. So okay. I think it'd be abuse of discretion. And then um, if they didn't abuse the discretion, the factual determination on subject matter jurisdiction would be reviewed de novo. Okay. There you go. That makes sense. Good opinion. <laughs> okay, good job. Maybe glance at that. I, the civil procedure people are just... You know, foaming at the mouth, waiting to read this one now. I mean, it's <laughs> exciting stuff. Well, I mean, if if standing floats your boat, this is the one for you. All right. So, uh, guess third, we come to our third uh, Supreme Court opinion. In Ray, uh, Michael Hessler, Living Trust. Uh, this is interesting uh, opinion. I'm going to go through a lot of facts here, but the the meat of this opinion circles around what is a final appealable order and what can actually be appealed. Uh, here we're going to find that there was not a final appealable order, and so even though this is a 15-page opinion, it's 15 pages to get to um, nowhere, and the Supreme Court essentially saying, hey, there's nothing for us to review at this time. Uh, but the facts are pretty important here. Essentially what happens is Michael Hessler dies. Uh, he has a trust that devises his house to his girlfriend, and then the rest of the Trust, trust residuary to his three children in equal shares. The interesting caveat with this and what uh, kind of throws things into um, a contentious world, so to speak, is that the house is the majority of the value of the trust. So the trust is approximately a million dollars. It's a little bit less than a million dollars in value. The house is worth approximately 550000 um, so about 50% of it. And the inheritance tax is um, deemed to be paid out of the residuary. And so you have three children, um, uh, I presume not their mother because they were not married, uh, three children who uh, have their father's spouse that is getting this house. And then not only is the, the spouse getting the house, but then they are responsible for the inheritance tax. And so they aren't very happy about that. And there is some uh, fairly lengthy discussion regarding the provisions of the trust that allocate the payment of the uh, of the inheritance tax, and then also um, the stat. There's a couple of statutes that are brought in discussing uh, whether or not the the value or the inheritance tax should be paid out of the trust, and if that should be allocated equally uh, to the individuals based on what they're inheriting, or if that should uh, come directly to the children. And then the other interesting piece here again, and that's, uh, you know, practitioners uh, understand this when you're working with inheritance taxes, that because they were not married, there was a pretty substantial inheritance tax being placed on uh, Mr. Hessler's girlfriend. And so the, the kids are fighting about a pretty substantial amount of money here. 
So there's an action filed in uh, Lancaster County that's eventually transferred to uh, Scotts Bluff County because this is where uh, the uh, probate of the trust or the um, the governing of the trust is, is happening. Um, there, the county court grant, grants uh, Miller partial summary judgment ordering that all of the inheritance taxes, as well as the legal and administrative administrative expenses be paid out of the trust residuary. Uh, the uh, Hessler children then voluntarily dismiss their undue influence claim, saying that uh, there had been undue influence exerted over their father in uh, amending a couple of portions of his trust. And then uh, approximately four months after the county court's order granting um, Miller summary judgment, the Hessler children appeal. Um, so the issue then we come to is, you know, there's uh, a, a fair amount of discussion regarding how the inheritance tax was uh, divided in the, the county court's underlying decision. So if you want to look at that, that is, uh, you know, somewhat helpful as far as the, how the county court evaluated uh, this trust and evaluated those issues. Though, again, the Supreme Court doesn't delve too much into them because uh, they say that this isn't a final appealable order. But then the bulk of the discussion begins with uh, the discussion of what a final appealable order is. And here I'm just going to run through the the four final appealable orders quickly uh, just as a refresher for all of us the first is an order which affects a substantial right and which determines the action and prevents a judgment second is an order affecting a substantial right made during a specific during a special proceeding. Third, an order affecting a special right made on a summary application in an action after judgment is rendered. And then fourth, an order denying a motion for summary judgment when such motion is based on the assertion of sovereign immunity or the immunity of government. And so um, here they say that section 25.1902 provides an order made during a special proceeding proceeding or affecting a substantial right is a final appealable order. And so that's what the children are asserting here. They're saying the county court determined what the inheritance tax is. They're saying that's going to be, you know, all towards us. And then uh, the county court also overruled a uh, motion for sanctions made by Miller, uh, Mr. Hessler's girlfriend. And so they're saying, hey, this is a final appealable order. But the Supreme Court says, no, uh, here we don't have a final appealable order. The county court has simply made a determination of inheritance tax and nothing's actually been paid. And so they say the apportionment order was not a final appealable order. Uh, the order um, the appeal from the uh, March 22nd order uh, addressing Miller's motions for sanctions is not a proper vessel to obtain uh, review for the heirs assigned, and therefore the Supreme Court says that they last, lack jurisdiction and dismiss it. And so essentially what they're saying is, you know, you actually need to pay this inheritance tax. You actually need to have the county court uh, you know, begin to divvy up all of these assets, and then it's a final appealable order, which is a little bit bizarre to me in that, you know, here it did seem like, okay, the county courts already said you lost. This has been apportioned. You know, you're going to have to be responsible for these these taxes. But, you know, the Supreme Court here is saying, no, that's not enough. Here we have to have, you know, almost some kind of harm uh, in order to appeal from that. And, and you know, that's that's what's going to be grounds for uh, beginning beginning this um, this appeal. So they actually had to pay it? Is yeah, that, and the and the provision there is that you know there are um, grounds and remedies for being able to uh, get money back if you uh, pay inheritance tax that 
you know, shouldn't have been determined in a certain way or shouldn't have been assessed. And so here they're saying that, uh, you know, there are remedies where inheritance tax has been paid in error. And so, you know, that's the, the avenue that needs to, to happen. And so, you that's know, there's, there's statutes that, you know, cover this and, you know, they're here. It's what they call a discrete phase of the probate proceedings. And that has not yet been completed in the county court. So, you know, there, there hasn't been a final determination on the inheritance tax. And so you can't appeal it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of words to say, uh, nothing appealable. Yeah, it was a lot of words to say <laughs> nothing, which is, yeah, essentially what we get to. Hey, I know we can't talk about this, but we're going to talk about it for a really long time. But it, again, it is a good debate on, you know, what is a final appealable order? Oh, no, because you never that, know when you value can. There. Yeah, you never know when you can appeal something. So I got a county fight. Oh. Um, and this, that's really Is official. that like a dog fight? It's, it's kind of, but with counties. Don't want to um, break it up. And, and they sound all official because instead of saying Lancaster County, you say County of Lancaster, as if we're British. <laughs> but there's County of Lancaster versus County of Custer. <clears throat> so Custer County versus Lancaster County. And I learned something in this case that I didn't really know. Um, so the there's a statute out there that says the county boards in each county are responsible for taking care of, and this is not the best nomenclature, but here it is, poor person. Uh, they're responsible for taking care of poor people. Uh, in the in the county, and it's sixty eight one or dash one three one sixty eight is the Keith County license plate. Uh, go Oglala, and then there's the uh, Lancaster County had a uh, quote poor person uh, come to their jurisdiction and require and ask for aid. Right, you got to take care of these folks who don't have any other means to take care of themselves. So this gentleman who lived. 10 years previously in Custer County comes to Lancaster County. So he moves to Lincoln to his daughter's house and he seeks medical assistance. And uh, he moved to his daughter's house to seek medical assistance and asked the county to help him seek that medical assistance. And over the course of a few months, they spent about $31,000 taking care of him. And in the right, I think like a month or two after he started receiving assistance, the clerk of some clerk or some bureaucrat, person in uh, Lancaster County sent a letter to Custer County and said, Hey, come and get your boy. Um, we, we don't need to take care of him. He's we've determined that he's settlement or where he lives is up in Custer County. So you need to be responsible for him. They said no. So they kept a hold of him, uh, and they racked up that $31,000. Now, uh, the issue here is they said a bill, they sent a bill to Custer County from Lancaster County after he applied for, uh, and successfully received SSI and stopped um, getting uh, money from Lancaster County. They sent a bill to Custer County and they said, Hey, you owe us 31 grand. Uh, Custer County said, well, we actually don't because you failed to, uh, provide it to us within the 90 day window for County claims. So you didn't do that. Uh, and therefore we're not going to pay it. Then they sent a demand and then pursuant to the statute that governs all this between County stuff, um, they sued him and said, Hey, they owe us under these statutes. So the issue on appeal was whether the 90-day thing, the 90-day claim statute, controls over this uh, inter-county kind of uh, reimbursement procedure. Um, there's issues here as far as the appeal is concerned. Um, Lancaster County won at the trial court level after summary judgment, and Custer County uh, did not prevail. So they did say, hey, you owe them. It ended up being, I think, twenty-seven grand or something after they uh, cut some. So you owe the twenty-seven grand now. Um, Custer County appeals. 
but they don't assign any errors in their brief. Um, so there isn't really much for the uh, Supreme Court here to look at except for plain error. So they decide based on the uh, history of the statutes that the um, county court procedure as being more specific is prevails. And so that they're, they are going to affirm the trial court. And they said that it's not a contract kind of thing that would be subject to the 90 day claims limit statute. So it, the 90 days claim thing doesn't really work here. Um, there's a bunch of discussion about the 90 days claim statute or the claim statute. In fact, the Supreme court goes on to say that it has ancient roots all the way back to 1879 and kind of discusses the history of the claim statute and what that is about. But I didn't know that there was a, you know, a statute governing counties to take care of quote poor people. I didn't know that. So, um, that's, that's something here. And there's a, apparently a procedure for inter-county, um, reimbursement as well. So anyway, this is appealed and uh, Custer County has to write a check, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never heard of that either. I think we're on to uh, Court of Appeals Court now, of Appeals, right? let's go. Okay, Court of Appeals opinion. Uh, the first opinion that we come to is in Ray interest of Alexa B. at all uh, children under the age uh, under 18 years of age. And it's a, an appeal from a termination of parental rights uh, for uh, five children. Um, you know, the the gist of this opinion is, is just you know, primarily circles around one, there was an issue about uh, reasonable efforts. And the reason the reasonable efforts were an issue is because uh, father who's is appealing here was incarcerated for almost the entirety of this case. Um, And so, you know, they do talk about HHS having to provide reasonable efforts in in jail still, um, and still offering services and things of that nature, which did happen in this case, uh, the Court of Appeals says. And then there's also discussion regarding the fact that while, you know, incarceration isn't the sole factor, it absolutely is a factor and it you know can demonstrate you know parents being unfit and unable to uh, provide and care for and you know nothing in this opinion really is outside of what we see in the norm um, you know reading these all of the time but I, I will say the interesting piece here is that they uh, have a quote here where they say Brian encourages this court to reverse his termination so that the children may be left to await his eventual release from prison at an unknown time in the distant future. We decline to do so, as we will not gamble with a child's future and a child cannot be made to await uncertain you know, parental that, yeah, maturity, which they always say. But I do think that piece is interesting. After they've just, that's a burn. Yeah. After <laughs> they've just had our, our uh, incarceration case where they reverse, right. you know, here's an incarceration case where they're saying, hey, you know, if you're incarcerated and you're unable to parent, that absolutely is a factor. And we're Swinging not back. Your a kids bit. wait forever. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Or maybe not swing back, clarifying or clarifying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's it. All right. Good. I got uh, this one is State of Nebraska versus Lashawn Rogers two. It's a criminal case where the juvenile this gentleman. I don't know what to call him. I mean, a gentleman, child. He's fifteen. Young, young, yeah. young man, young man, young man. Yes, young man. Uh, this young man was uh, involved in some activity regarding a firearm uh, in trying to buy vape cartridges from a 12 and 14 year old. Um, he had a uh, he had discharged a firearm and it grazed somebody, and they filed it in district court as a felony, very high up felonies, and then he sought transfer from the district court to the juvenile court based on. Um, the juvenile transfer statute. There was a factual determination for the district court to decide whether he should be transferred to juvenile court or not. And, and I think you've you've had a case like this. Uh, yeah, I think last recently. week actually. Very, yep, extremely recently then. Yeah. Um, and these are factors under forty three two seven six sub one a through o. 
So there's a lot of there's factors. There's a lot of factors, yes. So these A through O factors, the court here uh, goes through them all uh, and decides whether they weigh in favor of transferring and not in favor of transferring or whether they're neutral. So the court here does a, a really good job of getting the facts out of this young man's rough life and deciding whether he can be best suited in the criminal jurisdiction or whether he should go to juvenile court. Ultimately, they decide that he should stay in criminal court uh, as an adult and be treated that way under here. And they uh, affirmed that the, after the appeal here, they affirmed that on the appeal because it was an appeal of the denial to transfer to juvenile court. And uh, there's some factors here to discuss. And if you're wondering, I mean, you have one of these, it's in district court and you're getting ready for the hearing on the motion to transfer. This would be the case to look at, or at least one of the cases to look at to decide what facts might way in favor one way or the other what facts can you there are actually important or what facts might not be important when you're trying to persuade the district court um, to transfer your young man to juvenile court and it's a it's a sad opinion uh, you hate to see it go that way but he was engaged in some pretty serious conduct so that's it's one of those yeah tough cases yeah all right anything else i don't think so it was a brief week it was a quick week um fun week it was a fun week. Okay, I'm gonna hope everyone had a good Valentine's Day. I hope you uh, heeded our wisdom, you know, took care of. You ever heard the song? Substantial. Oh yes, absolutely. Really? You oh, say yes. that every time, and I don't know whether I believe you. You don't believe me? <laughs> I don't know. Why wouldn't you believe that? It's, it's an old song. I, it is a very old song. I Way have old, old siblings. I have old parents. Okay. Yeah, and plus this, I mean, it's a good song. Yeah, it's a great song. All right. Well, hey, that's it for this week. Uh, this is uh, Point Two Law Review, brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. We got offices in Kearney, Holdridge, and Minden. Go back to episode one for the disclaimer. I again forgot to say that. Maybe that'll be a thing where I always forget to say it. Yeah, but you said it now. I, I did say it now. Yeah, just go back to episode one. Disclaimer. Right. Disclaimer. Episode one. All right. Well, hey, have a great week. Wonderful see, week, everybody. Yeah, see you thanks next for week. sticking with us. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye. And it was